0: At one point, I was on the team that was taking down more office space than anybody in the world. Every three days, taking twenty to 30,000 square feet. It was one of those times of my life where you'd wake up in a hotel and go, where am I? What am I doing? What part of the world am I in?
1: Hey Bill, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm oh, doing pretty well. Well, uh, thanks for uh, jumping on this episode with me here. It's, uh, it's been a long time since we've caught up, so I'm really excited to uh, kind of hear what's going on in your world. Uh, yeah. Just for the yeah, listeners. For, uh, what's yeah,
0: that? Thanks for having me. I'm 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 excited to chat about this, and so we'll we'll see what crazy things I say today. <laughs> Sounds good.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, for the listeners. So you uh, used to be a Philly guy. Recently moved down to uh, South Carolina. Yep. Uh, one of the partners of Empirical Consulting Solutions. Do you want to do a quick intro for yourself and uh, sort of like your background and, and what you do?
0: Yeah, you're, you're doing a fantastic job. We um, uh, started Empirical about six, seven years ago. I, I didn't. We started Empirical 10 years ago. My partners did. I joined them six, seven years ago. And uh, we provide a uh, solution to the lower mid-market. Uh, about half our business, uh, a little bit more than half our business comes out of the private equity VC world. The other half comes from privately held companies. And we work with companies that are in uh, or want to get to growth mode and uh, are struggling in different functional areas. It could be sales or marketing or it could be um, HR or recruiting or whatever they need. And we provide them not only that strategy that you'd expect out of consultants, but the execution piece, uh, which is typically missing. You know, you, you, Everyone's hired consultants and they come in and they tell you what's wrong. They give you a binder. They leave we had hired those people when we worked at uh our corporate jobs and we said no way we're not doing that anymore so this is what we provide so <laughs> yeah
1: the uh the joke is uh you know consultants uh it's like a, a vending machine you put in a dollar and get out a powerpoint
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can, they're the people you call if you want to make things worse right you know uh you know it's uh it gets worse as they tell you what's wrong and then they leave so yeah cool uh, yeah. cool horrible yeah.
1: How's so know- uh how's remote uh life down in South Carolina by the way? It's uh one of the things I wanted to chat with you about is just uh like you you moved down to South Carolina. I don't you know no friends or family down there, right? So it was just a total uh relocation working remotely. What's that like these days?
0: Yeah, it was uh my wife and I were working remotely as it was, you know, through the pandemic and uh we said, "Man, our kids are coming up and and they're going to school. My one had gone, my other one was going." And we said uh you know, if we we're going to make a move, this would be the time to do it. And I was cold, Brian. I was tired of being cold. I was cold all the time. Uh, it seems like winters in Philadelphia now last from like November to May. And then it goes from that to hot summer. So I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, we took a look around. We went to Tennessee and we went to Florida and, and South Carolina. And we came to this community that I'm in now. And uh, we just absolutely loved it. Um, and uh we've had a, a great time. Uh working remotely's been fine. Uh it's great cuz I got a, a fantastic airport nearby. Uh it's only 30 minutes away. Uh, Savannah Hilton Head Airport and I can get in and out easily and it's um uh, it's it's weird cuz they're like friendly there. They're like friendly airport. It's uh they were voted the number 1 airport in I think the southeast here just recently. So
1: <laughs> I had that I experience uh yeah. in Denver when uh, TSA was being nice to me. I was like, "Wow, this is uh this is a totally different experience. I didn't know that, uh, you know, the, the TSA agents were, uh, were friendly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. You know, I'm just used to it. I was just back in Philly the last few days, and uh, I'm back quite a bit and uh, visiting some folks and uh, doing some work. And I, I was, I, I have forgotten how I'd been maybe three or four months since my last visit, how aggressive even on the roads everyone is. And, uh, you know, when you're down south, people are a little less aggressive, so uh, a little bit more mellow. So I've been chill.
1: I lived in, in Florida for a couple of years, uh, this was over a decade ago. And I remember my first Florida experience. I, uh, you know, coming right, right from Philly, get in, you know, drop off the U-Haul at my apartment. And uh, I go out to the grocery store to get some groceries for the uh, for the kitchen. And uh, the the lady in front of me in line was like this older lady, obviously retired and sitting there counting pennies out of a bag oh. to, uh, <laughs> to, to buy her groceries. And I'm like, just like, holy shit, man, hurry up. I got stuff to do.
0: Oh bring my Philly energy
1: yeah. down to the south. <laughs> yeah.
0: You do learn to chill pretty quick. It's uh it, it can be a little frustrating at times when I'm trying to get to, you know, like that to lunch or something and, and everyone's going so slow. But uh uh you, you get used to it. You get used to it. But yeah. I like it. I love being down south. It's uh it, it's a lot of fun. And like I said, I can get to my clients, we can go all over the place. It's um and we had a fantastic year and we've had a fantastic year. So um it's been all good.
1: Yeah, cool. So a couple of things I think we can uh, dive into topics here. Uh, One thing you didn't mention in your intro, you you used to be, what was it, VP of M&A at Regis and uh, acquired a number of uh, real estate properties for Regis and kind of built that business out. And uh, I know we've had many conversations on your your back deck and at the fire pit, uh, kind of talking about the the WeWork thing as that was unwinding. And it was kind of interesting to hear like, you know, the venture backed side of this, uh, you know, shared workspace versus more of like the real business fundamentals behind the shared workspace business.
0: Yeah. So I'm yeah. interested in
1: chatting with you about that. And I also yeah. saw you were just at, uh, what was it M&A East conference? Uh, I was, I was. Yeah, I would love to hear about that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely talk about that. Yeah, the, uh, the Regis days were great. I was a VP of sales, but uh, we all wore multiple hats and it included uh, business development and helping uh, select sites and uh, grow the business. And at one point, I was uh, not just me, we had a team, but uh, I was on the team that was taking down more office space than anybody in the world. We were every three days taking 20 to 30,000 square feet uh, and I would—it was one of those times of my life where you'd wake up in a hotel and go, "Where, where am I? What am I doing? What, what part of the world am I in?" Uh, it was—it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And Regis had a, a cool model, and they were one of the early innovators, along with this other company called HQ. And Regis bought HQ in my career, and then we had this massive network of um, facilities. They were based in and around um, individual offices. And it was uh, when the WeWork days came along, uh, co-working was starting to go. Uh, WeWork did not invent co-working as, uh, as a, un- unlike most people think uh, WeWork was the innovator and the creator of, of co-working. They weren't. It had been around. It had just been kind of disorganized and um, uh, wasn't a whole lot of large groups doing co-working. You know, that Wide open spaces, not these small offices, but wide open spaces—a very communal, very, um, you know, let's all get along, have a lot of fun. Um, and um, uh, then Adam came on the scene with WeWork, and um, and really, uh, man, that that guy could sell. Um, I don't know if you've seen We Crash, Brian, but uh, have, yeah, it, it's. You know, some of what I know and what I've seen, some of it's true, some of it's embellishment of kind of the you know, it's always a caricature of the person, but uh, he could sell and and convince people that uh, he had uh, something that was really special. And I don't know if they actually ever did. But, you know, as we know, you, you sell the vision and the image and that's what he did. He did that really well, really well.
1: Well, I did the math at their peak. I was just kind of curious uh about it and uh I think their their peak valuation was like 50 billion dollars and uh they had 500 locations. So I'm kind of doing the napkin math here. So uh somehow each location generates uh 100 million dollars of of value. Uh Yeah. And uh, I was just <laughs> and I I you know, I was immediately, you know, when I was kind of crunching the numbers on that i'm thinking about you and, and kind of like the stories i've heard of of your your growth uh strategy at, at uh, Regis. and it was just uh just kind of like one of those uh you know pie in the sky funny money you know vc oh, kind yeah. of uh, stories
0: yeah and and uh you know unbeknownst to me too you know that that whole world got started and i think i've told you the story we um adam was doing well and he was on the radar and but he had like Four locations, and he he didn't have that crazy valuation, and I can't remember when this was, but it was early days. I can't remember the year, uh, but Mort Zuckerman uh, ended up connecting with us, and Mort owns U.S. News and World Report and Boston Properties. Uh, great guy, and he we he was a, a, a one of our landlords. Obviously, we didn't interact with him a whole lot, but uh, he said, "Hey, I want to come and take a look at your location in New York." Uh, and we had like a, a newer co-working space and he came and toured with us. We showed him the whole facility and he loved um, the, uh, the the location, asked a lot of questions, very insightful. You could see him processing. And unbe- unbeknownst to us, he was talking to Adam at that time. He left our facility and three days later, we read in the paper that he wrote a check for $300 million to wow. Adam and WeWork. And that was really the initial uh, of the frenzy, you know, that crazy math, you know, where people started getting crazy because you, you get someone like that in the VC world or early days, angel, whatever he more would have been considered at that time. Um, when you get someone like that back to you, everyone else takes notice, especially when they they stroke a check for three hundred million. That's crazy. and um, and everyone he just rode that wave then, and everyone jumped on and wanted to give more and more money until it came to Softbank. and then, SoftBank went crazy. They then they they really believed in him and wrote the billions of dollars in checks uh, to get everything going. So, yeah, but so yeah, you're right, work, Brian. Uh, never worked. N- never worked. Yeah,
1: yeah. he got uh, I guess you know lost in the sauce, as you could say, or caught up in the uh, you know the 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 sales pitch. I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah, really did. Uh, now I think Mort did okay because he, I think a lot of his money came back out early uh, when SoftBank came in, so he probably did well. Uh, with his investment but there was a lot of people that just got really excited they it's you know you you see this too it's kind of follow the leader there's a handful of really influential vcs and and people and when they make big bets people pay attention they go wow that that company must be something special because these people are smart and smart people don't put their money in bad places and uh, and i i think we all recognize that that that's a a great way to grow a company is to Get the attention of somebody that got money that that makes a difference not only not all money is equal i guess so so to say right yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so i'm curious uh this is a good pivot to uh you know what you're hearing at that uh mna east conference uh you know obviously the uh the markets are just getting crushed right now uh, i was looking at twilio uh trading at uh three times revenue which is just uh Crazy, mind-blowing right? to me yeah <laughs> They were crazy. at like what twenty plus times revenue or something, or you know fifteen plus re- times revenue or something. But uh, what do you what are you uh, seeing? You know, I, I know you're really close to a lot of PE people and uh, VC people. What what are you seeing and what what are they talking about as far as deploying capital and uh, you know kind of weathering uh, whatever's to come?
0: Yeah, it, it's a uh, it, it's a crazy market right now and. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty, I think, is the word in in the world. Um, Some markets are still very hot. Uh, We work uh, with everything from manufacturing and industrials to SaaS and high tech, uh, and and we have different components of our business that do different things for those groups. Uh, In the SaaS world and um, the uh, 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 tech world, the software world, we were seeing multiples as late as January of 10 to 14 times the revenue. That was that was the going rate. And we were seeing deals get done so fast because everyone was worried somebody else was going to come swoop in and steal their deal. And you had you had an LOI and, and it wasn't unusual for us to see terms that were 30 days. You had to have the deal done or you were going to lose the deal. To, it was going to go back out to the marketplace. Um, today, we're seeing those same deals trade in the six to eight times revenues. Uh, and um, not all of them, but especially the more established, higher dollar companies, um, they're just they've really backed off their higher multiples that we saw, you know, just like I said, just eight months, nine months ago. It was pretty crazy. Now, on the other side, if you're in the if you're in the uh, mark um, manufacturing world, everything's starting to come back on shore and they're trying to move supply chains and get all that stuff done. Those folks have seen an increase in the last uh, eight to nine months where. Um, we've seen doubling of valuations from those companies. They don't trade on revenue, they trade on EBITDA, but we've seen EBITDAs go from, you, you could buy good companies for four, maybe five times. And we're seeing those creep up to eight, 10 times, uh, for the right company. So yeah, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. Thing.
1: Uh, yeah. I've been getting a lot of, uh, you know, I've always gotten, you know, over the last few years, uh, a lot of PE, uh outreach to, uh, you know, discuss acquisition of of my company. And uh, I'm sure you guys have the same thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've been seeing deals in our space starting to get north of 10x EBITDA, which is uh, just pretty insane to me. I always just had the number of like three to six in my head as what the, you know, valuation would be. And now it's, uh, you know, double that pretty yeah. well.
0: Yeah, yeah, we you know, I, we've had this discussion too. Where you know, when we started this company, we were doing it because we loved what we did and we didn't want to do it for corporate America anymore. But uh, we never thought that there would be a lot of value in a business services group and a consulting group. But we have uh, everything from family offices to PE firms to uh, professional services groups, accounting firms, and everything else calling us every week. Um, and and the numbers keep getting bigger and bigger. Uh, we always said, hey, we wouldn't sell. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the numbers start to get really crazy and uh, it, it happens. You, uh, you do things. And I think they're looking at you guys and, and us because we bring something unique to the table. And uh, we, you've, you guys at CureTech have done such a great job at uh, packaging all that stuff that was always so complicated and convoluted and making it uh, available for all those companies out there. And, and you guys are kind of that one-stop shop. And, and that's being a comprehensive solution provider is just critical today. Just critical. So, yeah, cool.
1: Cool. So yeah. uh, just curious, uh, what's, uh, what, what's your uh, you know, kind of prediction for the next couple of years with, uh, I guess, macro economically, but also you know, with the PE markets?
0: Boy, you're asking me to be an economist? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, I, I, I—that's really difficult. And, and uh, we we listen to a lot of conversations when we were at m and talk to our our private equity uh, partners, and they're seeing, and I—it's it, just uncertainty. I, I go back to that. I'm going to cop out on you, but it's a lot of uncertainty in what's going on in the world and. Uh, uh, they're taking it day by day now. I will tell you because the markets have softened up. People that can are moving more and more money to their private equity partners, and these guys, uh, for the most part, and VC and private equity aren't having a whole lot of tr- difficulty raising funds. From what most of our partners that we talk to, they're able to set up new funds and 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 get them subscribed pretty pretty quickly. Um, but um, that then the challenge is they've got to find those deals and then. You know outperform the marketplace and continue to perform like many of them have and that's been their challenge uh depending on the sector you're in, it's harder and harder to find good deals and um find companies that are worth making those type of big bets on so but uh I don't know, I'm not hundred percent sure where things go macro size i i it it seems like we're in for at least some somewhat of a bumpy ride over the next twelve to twenty four months it's It may be up and down, but um, I I think everyone would agree it would be a little bit bumpy. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh,
1: So to kind of change gears here a little bit, uh, you know, you've very successfully with ECS, you guys have sold into a lot of uh, PEs, VCs, family offices. So the listeners of this show uh, oftentimes are going to be leaders of tech companies, whether it it be services or SaaS or some kind of uh, tech enabled service. and a lot of them are looking to access growth so they they they're trying to you know grow grow their their business and uh you know obviously there's a delivery component to that but then on the sales side uh what's uh what, what's some advice or some insights you have around how to access portfolio companies of these investment firms uh, how how do you build the relationships and sell into them
0: yeah it's 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 not a man you it's not a one shot uh, deal where you can uh, you know throw an email at somebody and and they're they're buying from you immediately you you know this as well uh, you know email and some of the standard stuff is is good ways to get through the door but um we found a, a lot of success um starting with a portfolio company going to uh, one of the portfolio companies and I'll tell you uh, early on, early days, and some we still sometimes do this for new uh, relationships to prove our worth. Uh, we did stuff for free, and uh, we we or we took discounted uh, on on some of our services because uh, we just wanted to prove our ability to do what we what we do. And the first question you always get is, "Have you worked in PE ever before?" When in the R world, and and when the answer was no, we the door was shut. So we we went to those uh, portfolio companies directly and started working with them, and then looked for introductions up into some of the the private equity firms. Um, Others we went direct to, and we offered our services and showed how we were unique and what we brought to the table. Uh, And we did that in a very uh, succinct way and uh, a very value-driven way. You know, this is the value we bring. And we're always about that. That's everything we do It's very value-centric. And um, and in the PE and, and the VC world, it's all about value creation. It's what can you do to help us execute our plans and and create value. They they typically have a strategic plan, they just don't have enough uh resources and horsepower to execute that plan. So that's the gaps we fill in. We know that's the value we bring and that's what we do. So Cool.
1: Yeah, so kind of like early days starting out, you would go after the individual portfolio companies and then move your way up into the PE. Yeah. Uh, most PE typically from my experience has, you know, controlling share of their portfolio companies. So uh, I'm assuming you're probably Dealing with like a C level, a CEO, or you know somebody at the the C suite, and then they probably still need to get you know for the type size deals you guys are doing, they probably still need to get approval from the PE. Is that right?
0: Yeah, that's not uncommon. Yeah, they, sometimes there are small deals, and and they can they can hire us and do whatever. Uh, other times they they do go up the chain and ask for uh, approval. If if we're say north of a hundred grand or hundred and fifty grand, they ask for approvals on some of those deals. But uh, a little bit of both. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, we we always go. Uh, we're in at the C level, and it's typically CEO or CFO, and uh, we're solving some um, macro problem they have, and they come to us and they say, hey. Uh, this is our issue. Uh, we listen, do a little discovery, and then, and then, yeah, there's usually some sort of connection to an operating partner at a PE firm. So uh, we take those opportunities to meet them, chat with them, share with them what we do, and uh, uh, walk them through our, our capabilities. So cool,
1: cool. Yeah. yeah and then, yeah. Uh... You know, it's definitely relationship driven, I've seen in the, the PE space. So uh, has yeah. it been a lot of just kind of like referrals, you know, you get uh, introduced to other firms or do you have more of like a, a targeted hunting strategy where you're going out and specifically seeking certain firms and yeah. uh, putting yourself in front of them?
0: Uh, the answer is yes and yes. You know, we uh, the, the <laughs> easiest way for us to get through the door is, is uh, we on a regular basis have sit down conversations with our, our partners. And uh, and we'll say, hey, think we're doing a pretty good job for you. Is there any other folks that you could think of that might be a good introduction? Um, m- most of our PE partners are pretty open, and they'll let you go wherever. Some don't want to; they don't want us walking across the street to their competitors or somebody else and and helping them succeed uh, where we've helped them. So sometimes we're our worst own en- enemy, but. Uh, we do then target people as well. We um, for M&A East we had a, a list of people we wanted to talk to. We talked to some, uh, had initial conversations, uh, and we did that very proactively, where we reached out and um, and you know sent them a couple of things, had a very informal conversation, um, and just opened the door to uh, having that, uh, knowing that the need wasn't there today, but the need might be there tomorrow, and we want to be the top of mind when they they think of us. So. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, now, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your expertise has always been, you know, definitely on the sales side. So, uh, you know, building relationships, closing deals, bringing things yep. up to the company, uh, which is, you know, kind of my, my area as well uh, at Curotech. And, uh uh, we have uh, some of similar uh, strategies, like, you know, we use a blend of, and I know you guys too, like a blend of outbounding and getting right to the customer or the prospects. Uh, there's a blend of inbound strategy where you're doing, you know, SEO or content marketing or email marketing. And then there's, uh, you know, partner channels where you've partnered with, uh, you know, we do the same. We partner with technology platforms and, uh, you know, referral channels and all these different sales channels, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you've seen to be the most effective and, you know, if that's been changing recently uh, for you?
0: Yeah, really. Yeah, both really good questions. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, it has definitely been changing. Um, And I don't know if that's a function of the environment or a function of our age and where we're at in the growth of our company, but uh, we've seen uh, always uh, historically our referral partner network has been our number one growth area. That's where the, it, it represented at one point seventy seventy five percent of our our overall company growth. Oh, wow, really? In new, new business, new logos was coming from our referral partners.
1: We're at what, fifty plus uh, outbound is our it's our biggest
0: channel. Th- outbound is yeah yeah yeah. Now, what's interesting is outbound is becoming one of our bigger channel- channels too. Uh, I would tell you three four years ago, outbound was. Probably 10%. And that has grown to probably 30, 35% now. And our referral partner program is down to about 45, 50%, depending on, I hadn't looked recently, but I think it's right around 45, 50%. Uh, and then the outbound stuff has really started to grow. So we're seeing those initial, um, again, it, maybe it's a function of the age and, the, and the how people want to be approached. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. But um, to your point, I, I think you make a great point. You can't do one thing and expect all of your business to come that one way. Uh, if you do, you're missing a whole lot of business. And when the market changes or something shifts in business, you you, you, have, you have to start all over again. So we use multiple channels and multiple places um, from events to um, knocking on doors to whatever we can do to, to get through the door, to, to chat with people and build a brand. You got to, you got to build a brand and people got to know who you are and what you're all about. So.
1: Yeah, cool. Yeah. One of the things we do for outbounding, we have, uh, we start with the data is really important. So the actual prospects we're targeting and getting it segmented really cleanly. It's a manual effort. I have a, a full-time person and and several contractors that are just responsible for collecting and, sorting the prospect data before we even run campaigns on it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll get pretty deep into, you know, siloing it by technology, by company size, by, you know, uh, the type of industry or the type of company it is. Like we may have a campaign that's focused on uh, a certain company size. That's a SaaS business that uses a specific type of technology. So when the messaging hits, it's like really just hyper specific and uh, and that's been one of the key uh, elements that I believe sets apart. You know, I get outbounded all day long. You know, fifty emails a day probably from outbound, and ninety nine percent of it's just total garbage. <laughs> and uh, like I'll get, I'll get like an outbound of uh, just like you know trying to pitch me janitorial services or something, and just ridiculous stuff that's just totally off base. But uh, how do you guys do outbounding in a way that your prospects receive your uh, your pitch and it resonates. And they're like, you know, the best the best for me is when the response is like, hey, this is amazing. I, you know, perfect timing. I was just having this call this morning about this problem. I'd love to get on a call. Like, here's a couple bullet points of what I want to talk about. That's the yeah. response to a cold email like that is, uh, you know, that, that's like the holy grail of what we try to achieve. Uh, what do you guys do for that?
0: Yeah, uh, you are so spot on. And we we make fun of those emails. We uh, I've, I've got a guy that on my team uh, who handles all of that for us, and uh, he and I will share every day. We get some really bad emails. So I love the ones that misspell your name, or or call you Fred, or some oddball name, or the, the you can see their software didn't work and it didn't drop the name in, or or what you are. Uh, And and here's my favorite. These are my favorite. I get, we reviewed your website and and they clearly have not reviewed my website because on my website, it shows we're marketing people and we build websites. Uh, And we've reviewed your website. We can, we think it's really poor and we can really help you create a really good website. And I, I love messing with those people. I'll respond to them and I'll go, did you really read my website? Because did you, did you see that whole section on website development that we talk about? um you, you 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 i think you missed something or someone missed something something overall or you need to get a new list yeah it's it's horrible it's a, absolutely horrible but you're spot on i i there is no it's hard work and but i'd rather not send an email or anything outbound that's going to affect my brand or what i do um if it's not directed to who we want and and we're really careful um we, we've used uh, a, a whole host of, you, you had turned us on to a couple and we've used those and, and, and continue to use those. And we're trying some new platforms and we're always trying new stuff, but that data is the key to everything. And if you need to spend half an hour to get three good emails out, spend the half an hour to get three good ones. Don't send 40 that are crap because one, you'll get blacklisted. Two, you're going to destroy your own um, brand and 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 you can do that in a hurry. And, it's, and once you send a bad email and 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 like us, people share bad emails, Um, you know, your brand gets in the toilet in a hurry. Yeah, I had one um, uh, the other day, uh, Brian, you're going to love this. The guy said, hey, I need your services. I need to hire you for some services work. So of course, you're going to say, okay, what are you looking for? I'll, I'll respond. Well, let's jump on a call. And then they proceeded to do a demo and try to sell me on lead generation. They were trying to sell me lead generation. I said, One, I don't appreciate being lied to. And I figured it was a lie. And so I was kind of prepped. And and I said, two, you guys, this is no way to do business. Does anyone literally sign up after you lie to them to to get us on on a call? Well, yeah, people do all the time. I I don't know who you do, but you're not going to get mine. And I'm going to make sure everyone knows who who you are because I don't want anyone to use you. So.
1: My favorite's when I literally just get calendar invites for meetings. Oh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> like I never talked to anybody and just like a calendar invite shows up and I don't know, yeah. I guess they're just hoping I just like say yes to everything and just show yeah. up to a meeting. Just, I don't know what this meeting's about, but I'm here.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up and yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You don't, you don't need janitorial support, you know, um, janitorial help and you just uh, not going to show up uh, to a random meeting for that.
1: You know, we got, we got that covered, you know, it's uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, what is it with the janitorial ones? I get I get like six of those a week now. I, I mean, there must either be a, 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 a an influx of need or maybe there's there's really struggling driving business. But yeah, and and I love the ones then too that come to you and they say, um, "Hey, this is our pitch," and then they go, "And if you're not the right person, could you send my my pitch to the right person in your company?" <laughs> I, I, are you serious? <laughs> oh man. Uh, that's my favorite.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of it. I, like the ones where it's, uh, you know, it's like just give me a one, a one number response. You know, one for this, <laughs> two for this, three for this.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, there was a, a oh, I can't remember. There's a sales guy that started that. And he swore that you know it's it's the best thing ever because people are too busy to write a response. But yeah, they yeah, you know, and and I have I've had people swear to me that it works. But again, I. I don't want to do anything that kills my brand. I'd rather be on point with you. Hopefully, I'm you know I've done my research and homework, and I know what you're all about. And I'm going to send you a relevant email. And uh, like you said, when you catch them at the right time, you, it, people do respond to cold email. They do. Um, it's just knowing your audience and being respectful of who they are, and knowing that you have the right person as much as you can. There's people move all the time, but do, sure. do your homework. So
1: yeah, so let's go down funnel from here. We're talking about lead gen. Let's go uh, let's go into the sales process because yeah. uh, one thing, uh, I, I don't remember if it was you that turned me on or what, but the challenger sales method that's oh, yeah. uh, we're yeah. like we've baked that into our company culture, like not just at the sales level but across the company and and uh, just the the philosophy of you know, like reframing the problem uh, in a way that the prospect is you know now in a learning situation, like you're teaching them. Something they didn't already know, not just kind of like regurgitating a pitch over and over, and then uh, like taking control of the sale, teaching, moving them through sort of like that. Uh, you know, they have—I uh, f- I forget all the stages of the Challenger sale, yeah. but there's like the rational drowning, and then you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, tell me a little bit about that. I know you—you're uh, you're a big uh, advocate of the Challenger sales model
0: yeah, they they literally should pay me. you know, I, I need to make some money here. i don't I don't make any money and I keep voting and pushing it. but i I think it's it's really um it, it's been that way for at least five or ten years, and it, it's gonna continue to get more and more that way. And uh, at at the core, you you kind of touched on it is adding value to your clients and 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 providing them, Uh, with a learning experience along the way. And if you can't do that in your sales process or you're not doing that in your sales process, you become commoditized. And then it it becomes a race to the bottom, wherever it is and however it is. You know, we all have competitors um, and people always like to, especially those procurement type minded folks or finance minded folks, they often want to put you in a bucket and and boil you down to get you down to a a lower number. And um, to your point, it's, it's all about understanding that client um, sharing with them uh, something they or, or reframing or, or taking them. Uh, it's a paradigm shift to, you know, you were thinking of it this way, but have you really thought about your overall problem, what you're trying to accomplish? I've seen that before with other like uh, companies. Here's how we solve those problems. Um, and if you're not selling that way, I think your, your days are limited in the, in the world because uh, people don't want to be sold. No one's ever wanted to be sold, but they don't want to be sold. They want, but they do want to buy. And if you make it easy to buy uh, and you're giving them something that's not on your website, like features and benefits, uh, you're going to win. So yeah, I'm a big proponent. It's a cool program.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we just had a sales call this morning. I was on with a prospect and uh, you know, they, brought a problem right to the table, uh, didn't really understand the problem. They knew they had a problem. They knew they had a key person that they rely on to do some certain data functionality that happens Mm -hmm. relatively frequently and their systems go down for, uh, you know, this processing time that needs to happen. And uh, basically they're just came to the table. How do we, like, what can we do better here? And uh, right on the sales call, you know, turned on screen share they pulled up their uh, their flat files and what the data looks like and we're talking through all right so you know this is kind of how the data is structured let's talk through the steps of how the data moves into your systems what checks and balances we need and uh, by the end of the call we're you know educating them about the types of systems that they're using the they have some you know their their industry uh, they're integrating with some not not their systems but they're integrating with some other systems that are just really old Uh, legacy legacy data systems. And there's some kind of like, you know, legacy tech debt there. But at the same time, they're trying to build a solution that's, you know, modern technology experience or modern technology automation. So uh, we just dove right into it and kind of talked through it. By the end of the call, they're just kind of like a hell yes to the next meeting. And uh, that's exactly what we want from our calls, especially that first kind of door opener call in that 30 Mm -hmm. minutes. It's like the, you know, you have couple minutes of icebreaker, you get into the the problem and, you know, try to spend five, 10 minutes on the problem. And then we want to be teaching them for like the next 10-15 minutes and then, you know, shoot the shit a little bit, set up the next meeting and, you know, have that meeting for them be a hell yes. And uh, what's, uh, you know, I, I know you're on a lot of sales meetings, what's like a example or something similar for you that you've recently had?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that is uh, spot on. And that reminds me of another Philosophy in a book that I love. Uh, I love Patrick Lancioni's books. You know, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I don't know if you read some of those, but Getting Naked talks about that. And we've adopted that philosophy. We 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 not only teach and train like we would in Challenger Sales, but we we had been in we've been in business now ten years. Uh, we did not have a capabilities deck or um, any one pagers until we had one pagers two years ago. And I literally just built a capabilities deck because we we just didn't, never felt the need to to sell anything or do anything like that. So yeah, I I had a um, client here recently and that's how all our calls go. Uh, They were, we were working with them on a CRM issue and they said, here, we have a CRM issue over here and this is the problem we have. And we just want to know how to do that. And, and we're just like you guys, we say, "Hey, we're on a zoom call, share us, you know, they're, they're in California, we're in Iowa and, and South Carolina. And, and we say, share us with what you got going on, and and it was obvious what they were trying to solve for wasn't their root core problem. And we walked them through, and we said, no, your your root problem is X, Y, and Z. You need to do this, this, and this. And 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 we and and we solved the problem for them on the on the call. Uh, they thought this was going to be a massive issue that was going to require a lot of integrations and a lot of problems. We put ourselves out of work on that one because it was literally a simple fix because they were in the wrong direction but that's okay because i know that client's going to tell everyone we're great we fixed it for free because we were doing that on a discovery call and uh and i know when they have the next issue or the next problem i'm getting a call and they're not calling anybody else and i've got a, a um they call them raving uh fans you know i've got a raving fan that is going to go out there and tell everyone they know that bill and empirical are fantastic people so
1: yeah i love it yeah. uh yeah one thing I learned from you guys, which was really awesome, I, I know this is more Jason's world, uh, but the uh, customer stratification, uh, oh, yeah. that's like, uh, that's like a next uh, level, you know, a lot of earlier stage companies, uh, I'm sure are not doing that. And that's more like, you know, a next, uh, next generation of a company sort of philosophy to start to look at your customers and your data in that way and start to think about how, uh you know how how your customers fit into different sort of value segments to to your 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 business. Uh, do you do you feel like you could uh, do a a high level explanation of customer stratification and and what people should be thinking about?
0: Yeah, at a real high level. stratification is taking your clients and and looking at them and dropping them into buckets, both on you know, how profitable they are, how difficult they are to service, uh, and understanding the ones that you want to go after and want to do more business with and the ones you don't want to do business with. And then tailoring not only your sales and marketing tools towards the the ones you want to do business with, but uh, your interaction, you might be looking to upsell or grow those those companies that you already have under the umbrella, the tent, and uh, in learning how to do that. It's a I my, man, my I can I can see right now Jason and Chris yelling at me, going, that was so dumb dumbed down and and that's not true. You missed half these things because they've got all the other pieces that move into it, because it's a little bit more complicated than that. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. We just did this for a client of ours um just a few years ago in um uh Fort Washington, and uh, they went from uh twenty million dollars to fifty million dollars and they went from profitability in the Teens to profitability now in the uh, almost thirty percent, wow. and they did that, that by just that? uh it. Took three years to get them from that point to to where they are today. So it's still it, it phenomenal just growth, though. Phenomenal growth, and I'm not talking. This is an industrial services group company. This is not a sexy company that has lots of high dollars going around. This is um, just focusing in on the right people, going after the right ones and they did that by doing voice of the customer. They listened to their customers first. They they sent somebody out there to interview these customers and they said this is what we want. They paired that up to what companies and clients they wanted to work with and boom, they they're wildly successful. So
1: So just to add some more color to that too. I've seen you guys do some stratification. I've seen some of your dashboards and it's like uh it's like an algebra equation. There's uh you know all these <laughs> like, you know, you basically take like the the general ledger export of the, the books and, you know, the customer list. And then, you know, you look, you're looking at things like revenue and you're looking at, uh, you know, how much time is being spent or, you know, how much resources or cost is being, you know, the cogs kind of what's going into that customer yep. and then, you know, their payment terms, how fast do they pay? Yep. Uh, what's like the growth potential of the account? There's all these like factors you guys look at and then you pull out these dashboards where it's like your the customers go into like an A, B, C. And then you also uh, build models for, you know, customers that are on the cusp, like they're at the top of a C and you think you can make them a B. Yeah. Like what? what is the attribute of this high level C customer that's missing, that's holding them back from a B? How can we yep. make them a B? And then the low C customers, it's like, you know, they're just costing us money and wasting our time. So we're going to pull, we're just going to drop those and reallocate the time and money to the ones that are you know more uh more uh, you know higher uh, higher on the scale and uh and then also one of like the kind of uh twists that i learned from jason is that uh i don't i don't remember the context and maybe maybe you do i don't know uh, i don't want to put you on the spot but it's something like uh that sometimes the a customers are actually not as good as you think in some way yeah
0: yeah you may you may stratify your customers as a being your high dollar customers and we see this often where our clients will say these are our best customers because they spend all this money, and then we do the analysis, and you take a look at them, and you go, well, your best customers chew up this much time, and by the time you get down to the bottom line, your profitability is nil. They, they All they do is add revenue, but they add zero to your profitability of your company. So we see that time and time again, where people who think they're top customers, uh, are their best ones are really when they get down to it, they they sometimes lose money on those those big clients, and then they're afraid to lose those clients because of all the revenue that's going in. But in reality, you're better off losing a client like that if you know unless you're in a, the SaaS world where you, you know it's it's about rule of 40. Um, you you're really you, you're better losing them unless you you just don't care about making money. But um, that goes again to the goals of our clients and figuring out where they're at. I need to that was one of the best uh explanations of stratification and segmentation I've ever heard, Brian. You're gonna go with me on my next sales call. <laughs> you did it much better than I could.
1: Yeah, sign me up, man. I'm there.
0: I'm gonna pay uh, you a commission. One,
1: well, there you go. <laughs> one more thing on that. So um uh with with the stratification. So uh, you know, obviously if uh, somebody listening wants to uh, to do this the right way, they can go to thinkecs.com and fill out the contact form and then they'll they'll get on your calendar and you guys can talk about you know what an implementation looks like. Yeah, uh, but, but secondary to that, think, if somebody wants to think take...
0: empirical, not think. think ECS may take you somewhere else. I'm not even sure where that is, but oh, think
1: my empirical. Yeah. Think com. My bad. <laughs> Thanks for the correction.
0: Yeah, it's okay. Uh,
1: so they'll go to thinkempirical.com, yeah. fill out the contact form and get on your, your calendar. Uh but if uh if they want to take the first step just to kind of like dip their toes in on their own, if they wanted to try to get their head wrapped around it, what would you say like the first one to three steps would look like just to try to figure out who your actual high value customers are and who you should actually be uh you know treating with not only like growing and and maintaining your, your best accounts, but also going after more deals like that
0: yeah i i would download all your customer information out of your erp or you know a lot of companies that are in quickbooks or some some booking you know software use that download all of them and uh add all the lines and the metrics you want to track revenue profitability uh, day, day sales outstanding or their their how much they pay and all of that stuff just drop into a line and start um, taking a look at it it's 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 um Amazing to us how many people don't um, don't take a look and take the time to look at their 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 business just for 30, 40 minutes. But that's a great place to start and then start seeing where the breaks are. It looks like these are our top accounts and, you know, on revenue wise and what's call those A's and these are B's. And um, there's a lot of really cool information out there in um, in the world that you can you can pull Texas A&M is really known for their, their in their business school, uh, their uh, segmentation stratification work, you can look up that as well and get a little head start on what you want to do. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, just doing a little bit of that will help you realize what you have going on and you, away you go. And then, you know, from a, a dashboarding standpoint, you guys do that really well. You know, the, the CureTech team, you've got a, you're looking to build some dashboards and you've got a bunch of disparate, um, uh, databases and points. Uh, I've never seen anyone do it as well as you guys do it. So you, uh, call the cure tech team. That's Thanks. What I you. Yeah.
1: So what yeah. else, uh, any other topics you want to talk about today? I, I kind of picked out all the topics here, anything, uh, that comes to your mind to bring up here, uh, or just, you know, what, what, what are you, uh, what are you doing these days in South Carolina?
0: What am I doing these days in South Carolina? I am um, I'm about 55 yards to a golf course right over here. And I've yet to golf because uh, the uh, company has been too busy. I do a bit of fishing because I do love to fish. And I have a pond right there too. And there's these massive bass in the pond. So if when I get like 20 minutes, I uh, slide on my boots so I don't get uh, bit by uh, 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 copperheads or water moccasins. Walking down in the brush down there to go fishing, I fish. I catch a fish. I throw it back in. I feel much better, and uh, you know, life moves on. So it's it's all good. So. <laughs> Love, it. but I, sh- I should golf. I I, uh, I haven't golfed. I, I, um, I I've just been busy and I uh, haven't been able to do that, but. Uh, we're now settled in and we did all those as you, you guys just recently did. We did all the renovations and all the work. When you move into a new house, you got all that huge list. Now we've been here a year. All of that's sort of sort of coming to an end, so we're we should be good to go. So maybe I'll do some more relaxing.
1: It has been a while since we've caught up, so I, I don't think I told you. So we 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 uh, moved out to Malvern, we got that house in Malvern, and uh, we we lasted a year in the suburbs. We ended up selling the house. We're back in the city again.
0: You're in the city. I didn't know if you made it back. You told me you're going. So uh, yeah, you're back in the city. Well, you you know you're an urban guy, so uh, you just weren't made for the suburbs. It's a little different
1: yeah yeah we had some uh some tree uh tree incidences as well so uh you know trees falling on the house and you know just uh yeah the city's the place for us i would say but uh yeah, yeah. yeah it was awesome uh catching up bill uh yeah. next time you're in town let's uh grab a cigar at mojo but uh i yeah. appreciate it. i think there's a lot of really great nuggets here uh especially the stratification i think i'm going to theme the title of this episode around that uh, stratification conversation so uh, you know, uh thanks for coming on here. It's a, a pleasure to see you. Yeah.
0: Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you again.
1: Yeah. All right, I'll catch you, Bill.